Welcome, and thanks for listening to the New Life Christian Ministries podcast. If you'd like more information about New Life or for more podcasts and other media, go to newlifexn.org. Welcome to New Life. We're so glad you're here. If you're here for the first time, welcome. In the name of Jesus, I'm Pastor Chris. Uh, I'm Marshall, the lead pastor here. And uh, we want to know, when you know we're starting a new series. You wouldn't know that if you're here for the first time or maybe just for the first time in a long time. Uh, but the bumper video would include everybody else into that. And as we start the new series, I'm going to maybe say something a little weird to start off the series. But in my experience, there's only two ways that I know of that people get wet when they go swimming. There are the people who, you know, they, they wade in like up to their ankles and they wait till their ankles get warm and then they wade up, you know, to their knees and then they go up a little bit farther. A little bit. It takes like a half an hour to get wet, right? Then there's the people like me. We just dive right in. So we're going to dive into this new series. And the new series is all about what it means to put Jesus Christ first in our life. Because the only way we can experience the fullness of God in Jesus Christ is to go 100% all in. Now, I know... Everybody has a different personality. Some of you are introverts. I'm an extrovert. Some of you do like to do that waiting thing. Me, I just like to dive in. I, you know, I don't care if it's cold. I don't care if it's warm, whatever. You know, I guess I should care if there's like a rock in the bottom I'm going to hit my head on. But I, I think about that, you know, after I've already div- divin in. Yeah, dived in. Uh, and so whether you dive in or wade in a little bit at a time, the key here in this series is going to be to... Um, Put yourself all in for Jesus because our prayer is that at the end of this series, every person watching online uh, or every person here is going to commit ourselves wholeheartedly to worshiping and following Jesus. So if you've been here for over the past month, you know what we've been doing over the past month. We've been talking about New Life's bullseye, our target, how, why we exist. And we do exist to share, grow, and live the new life of Jesus Christ with the world one person at a time. And what this series is going to do is it's going to give us uh, seven core values and key action points that we can do so we can hit that bullseye. So here they are. The seven core values are we follow Jesus, we care for lost people, we trust the Bible, we engage in worship, we love each other, we live in the Spirit, we give generously. Now, what I'm going to do next is I'm going to show you the same seven core values, but I'm going to put the action, there's a little action, one phrase or one sentence that we do in order to fulfill those. And I thought it would be cool to do a little participation thing. It worked last night, so we're going to try it again today. I'm going to say the core value, and then you're going to say the action thing. Ready to go? All right. Oh, we follow Jesus. That's pretty weak. I'm going to say that one again. Okay. We follow Jesus. All right. We care for lost people. All right. We trust the Bible. We engage in worship. Oh, that's getting better. We love each other. Okay. We live in the spirit. And we, okay, sorry. We live generously. All right. No, all of those core values, as we live them out, will cause us to hit that bullseye of sharing, growing, living the new life of Jesus Christ with the world one person at a time. So let's just dive right into the first one. We're going to take seven weeks. We're going to look at each one of them, uh, you know, one week after the next. So today, it's we follow Jesus. Take your next step. Jesus started his ministry. You may not know this, but Jesus started his ministry very similarly to the ministry of John the Baptist. When John the Baptist came to prepare the way for Jesus, what he did was he said, repent. 
which means to turn around, to, to turn away from your sin and turn back to God because the kingdom of God is at hand. And the very first thing Jesus said after he was baptized and went out into the wilderness for 40 days to be tempted, he came back to start his ministry. The very first thing he did was he said, repent. The kingdom of God is at hand. But the very next thing, that he did after that is he walked along the shore of the Sea of Galilee. He saw four guys who were fishermen, and he said, come, follow me. That's the, the second thing that Jesus ever did in his ministry was invite people to follow him because as Christians, we are identified by following Jesus. Now, it's an interesting thing that Buddha said, don't follow me. Interesting. Buddha said, don't follow me. But Jesus said, come, follow me. And he didn't just say that. He exhorted people to follow him. He asked them to go all in. In fact, whenever those first four fishermen started to follow Jesus, what did they do? They left their nets. They left their business. They left their families. And they went out all in to follow Jesus. And that's the kind of life that Jesus calls us to live. Now, not all of us are going to leave our business in order to do that. Some of us might. Because all in means different things for different people. Remember, some people are going to dive in. Peter and James, Andrew, James, and John, they were divers, right? They dove all in 100%. Some people wade in a little bit slower. So today, we're going to look at one of those times. It was a pivotal time in Jesus' ministry when he called, when he told people what it was going to be like if you responded to his call. It's found in the Gospel of Mark. But before we do that, I want to talk about something very practical. Uh, we have a take-home point every week. For those of you who are new, the take-home point is the one point that we want you to take home, me too, and think about it, pray about it, and live it out in the week ahead. And so the take-home point this week is very doable, very practical. It says this, the best way to follow Jesus is to take the next step in obedience to him. The best way to follow Jesus is to take the next step in obedience to him. And it doesn't matter where you are. Maybe you're here today and you haven't even trusted Jesus as your Savior and Lord. Well, in that case, the very first step would be to do that, to trust him as Savior and Lord. Maybe you've been following Jesus for 40, 50 years. In that case, there's always another next step. The thing is, we never get it 100% right in this life. And so there's always something new, something more that we can be or do to be all in for Jesus. So having said that, let's move to Mark's gospel. It's uh, chapter 8. If you have your Bible or your Bible app, you're going to want to turn there now. Mark chapter 8, beginning in verse 27. It says this. Jesus and his disciples left Galilee and went up to the villages near Caesarea Philippi. As they were walking along, he asked them, who do people say I am? Now, if Jesus had asked that question in isolation... It really probably would have just been passing time on the way from one place to the other. I'm sure those villages weren't close together and they had to walk. So it took some time. But we're going to see in the next sentence that Jesus had something more in mind than just conversation. So he says to them, well, oh, or what? it says, well, they said, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others say you're one of the other prophets. So Jesus had been ministering at this point for about three years. And the crowds came wherever Jesus was because Jesus was amazing. I mean, his teaching was incredible. Nobody had ever taught like Jesus. He had the authority. Actually, it seemed like the authority of God. In fact, he would say something like this. You've heard that it was written in the scripture. And then he'd say, but I say to you. In other words, he was saying something new, like adding to the scriptures. And he would heal sick people, blind people, deaf people. He even raised dead people. He cast demons out of people, and he also took on the religious elite, the scribes and the Pharisees, the Sadducees, those who all the people in Israel would have respected as the great religious leaders, and he took them on, and he always made them look sort of foolish at the end of the day. So some people thought 
Somebody this amazing, maybe it's John the Baptist come back from the dead. King Herod had executed um, John the Baptist, so they thought maybe he came back and Jesus is just John the Baptist reincarnated. Or, or some of the people thought he was Elijah, perhaps the greatest prophet in the history of God's people. And this guy, Elijah, had not even died. He had been taken up by uh, God into heaven, so he, he, perhaps since he didn't die, he could come back down. That's what people thought. Whoever Jesus was... They knew that Jesus was amazing. And, and so now Jesus lets us know why he had this little conversation of who people say I am. Because he wants to know, who do the disciples think Jesus is? It says this, then he asked them, but who do you say I am? And, and that's a powerful question. Who do you say Jesus is? Because the answer to that question makes all the difference in the world. If Jesus is the Messiah, the son of the living God, then then going all in makes sense. I mean, if he's God, then going in all in makes sense. Now, if he's just re reincarnated prophet, as cool as that would be, we, we don't owe him anything. But we believe, and, and that's the next thing you're going to see up, see up on the screen, we follow Jesus because he is God in the flesh. The first disciples understood that. In fact, Peter is the first one. Peter's usually the first one with his hand up when Jesus asks a question. He's the first one in this case, and he gets the right answer. Peter says... Um, you are the Messiah. And in Matthew's gospel, we're given a fuller remembrance of what happened that day. Matthew tells us this. Peter replied, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. So Peter understands who Jesus is. And Jesus' response probably seems a little bit strange to you, certainly to me, because this is what Jesus said. But Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. Now, why would you go to all the trouble of saying, who do the crowd say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And Peter gives the right answer. You're the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And they go, shh, 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 don't tell anybody. Why would you tell people not to tell anybody? I mean, this is really good news, right? Jesus is the Messiah. And we don't know for sure. Why Jesus did that? In fact, there are, and biblical scholars call this the messianic secret because throughout Mark's gospel, Jesus will heal a sick person and he'll go, don't tell anybody. He'll cast a demon out. He'll go, don't tell anybody who I am. You know, nobody knows for sure why Jesus did that. And thousands and thousands of pages have been written about why the messianic secret. For today, it's enough for us to know this. Jesus Christ is the Messiah, the son of the living God. And therefore, we need to go all in in following him. So immediately after telling the disciples not to reveal the secret of who he was, it, we see this. Then Jesus began to tell them that the Son of Man must suffer many terrible things and be rejected by the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of religious law. He would be killed, but three days later he would rise from the dead. None of the disciples saw this coming. Now we, we do because we live on the resurrection side of Easter. We know that Jesus came to live a perfect life. And he came to die on the cross of Calvary to shed his innocent blood to pay the penalty for human sin and that he rose from the dead. And after he rose from the dead, he went back to heaven and he sent his Holy Spirit to those who believe in him. But the disciples didn't know any of that. In fact, like every good Jew in that day, in Jesus' day, they believed the Messiah was going to come to overthrow Rome, that the Messiah was going to come and establish Israel as the key nation on the earth. And so when Jesus started saying this stuff about being killed, none of them could believe it. None of them could imagine that this could happen. In fact, Peter was the first one to voice his displeasure with what Jesus said. It says, as he, Jesus, talked about this openly with his disciples, Peter took him aside and began to reprimand him for saying such things. Imagine, Peter, the disciple, reprimanding Jesus, the Son of God. And some people think that Peter did this out of selfish interest, that Peter 
You know, he knew if Jesus was made king, that perhaps he could be the prime minister or the secretary of state, something like that. But, but it doesn't have to be that. Peter loved Jesus. Peter thought that Jesus was going to be the king of kings and lord of lords. And, and he had left everything to follow Jesus because he believed it. He was, Peter was all in. And so it could just be that Peter didn't want Jesus to die and to have the, the, the dream crushed. You know, Peter had a certain view of who the Messiah should be, and, and so he wanted that view to be the one that was lived out. Now, I have a question for all of us. You know, have you ever been all in for what you want Jesus to be and do? Have you ever had a certain picture of what Jesus should be and do in your life, and he didn't do it? Now, I know it's easier for me to be all in for Jesus when he does what I want him to do. Like something goes wrong in my life and I say, Jesus, fix this, because if you fix this, man, it'll be so easy for me to go all in. Or maybe I've just made a big sacrifice in my life and I say, Jesus, you know, I made a big sacrifice for you. Are you gonna give me a reward? Because then it'll be really easy for me to keep being all in. But sometimes it doesn't work out that way. Sometimes Jesus doesn't do exactly what he wants us to do. And think about this. Peter just wanted Jesus to live forever. That's a lot more noble thing than I want Jesus to do for me sometimes. And so after this, what we find is that Jesus turned around and looked at his disciples, all the disciples, and then he turned back to Peter and he reprimanded Peter. He says, get away from me, Satan. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's point of view. <laughs> you know you're having a bad day when Jesus calls you Satan, right? So Peter goes from the highest high to the lowest low. Because first of all, he had been the one who said, I know, I know, you're the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, that's right. And now he says, Jesus, the same Jesus who just said, that's right, says, get behind me, Satan. You're not thinking about things my way. You're thinking about things your way, the human way. And it can happen. It can happen in a heartbeat because when we're all in for our idea of who Jesus is and what he's supposed to do for us, we can be so far off base, can't we? I mean, all of us want this world to be a perfect world. We, we all want God, you know, put people in government who are going to do the things that we want done, that are good and right and true. We want, all the, we want good people to always be rewarded and evil people to always get what they deserve. But Jesus didn't come 2,000 years ago to establish that kind of a utopian world where everything is perfect. What he did was, the first time he came, he came in order to conquer sin, he came to conquer Satan, and when he died on the cross, he did that. He conquered sin and death once and for all, and ultimately, we will get to experience that perfect world because he's coming back. See, we know, once again, we know that. We live on the resurrection side of Easter. We know what Jesus plans to do. He plans to come back from heaven and establish his kingdom that will last forever. But that's not what he came for the first time, and it's so hard for us sometimes to understand that. So the idea that Jesus would die and, and, and do this, this great sacrificial act on behalf of humanity, it never occurred to the disciples. Peter was just the first one that said it. And, and so now Jesus wants to make sure, Jesus wants to make sure that Peter is not the only one that understands what it means to follow him. He calls the crowd. You see, there's always 12 people following Jesus, but there's always this crowd around because Jesus feeds hungry people and Jesus heals sick people and Jesus casts demons out of people. So there's always hundreds, if not thousands of people following along. And so Jesus calls the crowd in and here's what Jesus says. He says, calling the crowd to join his disciples. He said, if any, wants to, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross 
and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? You see, Jesus didn't correct Peter alone. He corrected everybody who was within distance of his voice. He wanted everybody to understand that following him was a costly matter. And so the first thing, uh, I need to make a little bit of a clarification because in our English translations, we don't understand something that's in the Greek. It says, if, anyone, if any of you wants to be my follower, when it says if in English, that's a conditional statement. We're not really sure. Jesus wasn't saying, if you want to be my follower, I don't know if you do, but if you do. Because in the Greek, it's written in the indicative, which means that he was saying, if you want to be my follower, and I know you do, if you want to be my follower, and I know you do, then here's what you're going to need to do. There are three things that you're going to have to do if you want to be my follower. The first one is you're going to have to turn from your selfish ways. So you're going to have to deny yourself. You're going to have to take up your cross. So you're going to have to die to yourself and then follow me. Being all in for following Jesus means that he comes first in every area of our life. It means denying ourselves and, and you know, taking up our cross, and that's not easy to do. In fact, it's really impossible to do, I think, all the time without the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And it requires the Spirit of God working in us for us to be able to be self-sacrificing because we're not that way by nature. By nature, we come out of the womb saying, I, me, mine, right? I mean, maybe we can't talk when we're born, but by the time we're two, we're saying, I, me, mine, mine, mine. And we exist really as human beings naturally without the supernatural presence of God in our lives. We exist for two purposes only, to avoid pain and to seek pleasure. That's what we do. We wake up in the morning and the first thing we say is, am I going to get out of bed? Will that be a way to avoid pain? <laughs> Well, that would be a way to seek pleasure. Go back to our swimming example. Why do people wade in like this? They're seeking to avoid the pain of that cold, freezing water, right? And, and so why do people jump in right away? Because <laughs> they know if they take the pain for this long, it'll be pleasure, right? Because your body will warm up. It'll feel great. So you get to the pleasure sooner when you dive in. You get to the pleasure later when you walk in. In our lives, we seek to avoid pain. And we seek to gain pleasure. That's what we do, natural. And what, what naturally, and, and what I know from my life experience, I'm 60 years old now, when I was a little kid, our culture worked against selfishness. Bear with me. When I was a little boy, we were told that our political leaders were public servants. Servants. They were supposed to be serving the people. Whenever we went to school, we were, we were told that we were supposed to honor and obey our teachers and others who were in authority. We were told that, that it was a good thing to deny ourselves and put others first. But over the 50 years since I was a little kid, I'm going to say I was a little kid when I was 10. Over these past 50 years, the culture has just drifted more and more and more towards selfishness. And selfishness is really celebrated in this culture now. In fact, I can prove it to you. What is the most popular kind of photo taken in America today? A selfie, right? I mean, think about it. When I was a little kid, you know, I had a camera, my Kodak Instamatic. Anybody have a Kodak Instamatic? Okay, some of you don't even know. You have to go to a museum to find one. Okay, I took pictures of myself, but you had to hold your arms out. You turned the thing around, and you went like this, and sometimes you got over here, and sometimes you got over there. Sometimes you did get a picture of yourself. But only in the last 15 years could you hold your camera out to here, and it looks back at you, and there's you. And so you know if it's you in a good picture or not, Right? And selfies are just, they just blown up the world, right? Everywhere, it's self-centeredness. And what Jesus says is you got to deny yourself if you're going to follow me. 
Now, the next thing Jesus says is we have to take up your cross. It's not enough that we just have to be unselfish. We also have to take up our cross. We all know what crosses do, right? I mean, not the ones you wear around your neck, but the ones that they had in Jesus' day, and actually the ones that are still out there in our world today. They hang people on them so they die. And you may know that the word excruciating, it actually comes from crucifixion because excruciating means out of the cross. The pain was so terrible they invented a new word for it. That's what it means to be crucified. So why would Jesus say he has this whole crowd here, you know, and he's able to feed them and heal them and do all this kind of stuff, and he could draw millions of people to himself. So why would he say you have to deny yourself and take up your cross before you can follow me? The shorter, short answer is, Because he was honest. Jesus was honest. You see, there are a lot of ideas about what it means to have the costs and rewards of following Jesus out there in the world today. But 2,000 years ago, what Jesus said is, there are some big costs if you want to follow me. You'll have to radically change from the inside out. In fact, my spirit, it's going to take my spirit to do that. You're going to have to go from being selfish to being selfless. And you're going to have to be willing to to actually take up your cross, which means really to crucify yourself, your selfish needs, and, and, and all the stuff that's in there that's not of God every day, and even be willing to die physically if it comes to that. So why would you do that? Why would any of us want to do that? Because what is the reward? Those are pretty big costs of following Jesus. So what are the rewards? Well, Jesus said this. After we've denied ourselves, taken up our cross, he asks a, a question, he said, or he says this. So... If you want to hang on to your life, you're going to lose it. But if you give up your life, for my sake, you'll find it. And then he asks a crucial question. What do you benefit if you gain the whole world and lose your soul? You see, Jesus understood what was at stake. He understood that a lot of people will, all of their lives, they'll seek to earn money. And maybe they'll have millions of dollars, even billions of dollars when they die. Or, or maybe they just want to be the, you know, the president of the company, or maybe they just want to have the most friends, or, or maybe they just want to even be the biggest leader in the church. But the truth of the matter is that all of those things, they stay here when we die. The only thing that goes with us when we die is our soul. And what Jesus was saying is there's nothing more important than your soul, the essence of who you are, because that lives on eternally, either in heaven or hell. And so what Jesus is saying is all of those things that seem so hard, They lead to a greater reward, and actually not just in the next life, but in this life as well, because when we live this way, when we follow Jesus, it's the best possible life we can have here and now. Not a life without pain. It will always have pain. Not a life without suffering. There's always going to be suffering. But what Jesus is telling us is when we commit to him, when we go all in for him, and he comes into our life, and we have the Holy Spirit in our lives, then everything changes, that moment and forever. So... What we find that Jesus made clear to the crowd and thus to us is it's all in or nothing. Either he wants us to go all in or or he doesn't doesn't want us to fool around. He doesn't want us to just play around with him. And so imagine a world where every follower of Jesus follows Jesus. Imagine a world where every follower of Jesus wakes up in the morning and says, God, fill me up with your Holy Spirit because I'm going to live for you today, and then lives in the power of the Holy Spirit. And when we sin or whenever we, you know, we fall down, we just immediately turn around. We repent, and we get back up, and we follow him again. That's actually the world Jesus imagined. That's the world Jesus died and rose again and went back to heaven and sent the Holy Spirit to create. And then finally... Jesus closed out his his words with this statement. He said, If anyone is ashamed of me and my message in these adulterous and sinful days, 
The Son of Man will be ashamed of that person when he returns in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. So that's the punchline. That's the final answer for Jesus. If you don't follow me, if you don't go all in for me, then one day I'm going to return. And all the holy angels, and and that's when the judgment comes, and and I'm going to be ashamed of you. Now, our culture goes as far as it can go to eliminate shame and guilt from our lives. And I'm all in for that. I want the shame and guilt to be eliminated from my life. And I want the shame and guilt to be eliminated from your life. But here's the thing. Our culture seeks to eliminate guilt and shame in our lives without turning our lives over to Jesus. They want to have a sense of of everything's good without actually becoming good through the righteousness of Jesus. And Jesus was saying, if you don't follow me, one day I will come back. And when I come back, it's going to be an uncomfortable meeting. And the thing that I'm so grateful for to Jesus is I don't have shame and guilt in my life. I don't. Because Jesus took it away when he died on the cross, when he shed his innocent blood on the cross, when he rose from the dead to prove who he really was, then he gave me the possibility, he gives, gave, gives all of us the possibility of a whole new life. In, in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, the apostle Paul does an amazing thing. He summarizes the first seven chapters of his book of Romans. In the seven chapters of the book of Romans, he says, we're all sinners, we're all going to die, but Jesus died, so we don't have to. We can have a new life. We're redeemed. Redemption means literally to be set free. So we're set free from sin and death. And then this is what Paul says to sum it all up. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. The blessing of being all in with Jesus is the elimination of sin, the elimination of shame and guilt from our lives and the ability to wake up in the morning and go, yes, it's a new day. I get to, and whatever it is, whatever my work might be, I get to go to school today. I know a lot of you don't want to say, I get to go to school today. If you're in Knock, you don't get to go to school tomorrow. It's off. It's a day off. That's pretty cool, right? You see, I wouldn't have known that six weeks ago, but now I sort of have a personal interest. Anyway, um, so there's no school tomorrow. But So what do you get to do since there's no school tomorrow? What do you get to do when you go to work tomorrow? What do you get to do? Well, you get to do anything that Jesus calls you to do in that parameters of denying yourself, taking up your cross, and following him. That's what I get to do, too. It's such an amazing, incredible blessing. So, over the next six weeks, we're going to give you some simple things, not easy things, but simple things that we can do in each of these seven areas so that our lives can be more all-in for Jesus. For today, let's remember, in order to be all-in and following him, it's going to require a commitment that maybe we've already been giving or maybe we've never considered giving. And so if you're here today and you've never even thought about the things I've been talking about this morning, you've never even thought about Jesus. Maybe, you know, you've been sort of thinking that that all this stuff about Jesus and and what he wants us to do, I, I don't buy it. I'm just not buying it. You know, what if Jesus was wrong? What what if there is isn't even a God? What if there is a God But at the end of the day, it's ollie, ollie, oxen free, and everybody gets to come in free. What if all that's true? Well, Jesus said something quite different than that. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to God the Father except through me. And we do have to make a decision. We do have to make a commitment one way or the other in our lives. And once we make that commitment, everything changes forever. And so if you're here today and you've never made that commitment, you've never surrendered your life to Jesus. You've been carrying around that guilt and shame and our culture says you shouldn't. 
the culture's right, <laughs> but for the wrong reason, um, we shouldn't carry around the guilt and shame. It can all be left at the foot of the cross and washed away by the blood of Jesus. And then the new life begins. And that new life doesn't come in a minute. I'm talking about the new life comes in a second, but the, the difference in our lives doesn't come in a minute, in a, in a week, in a year, in a decade. It's a lifelong process. But in that process, day by day by day, in the power of the Holy Spirit, we become more like Jesus. We deny ourselves, and we take up our crosses, and we follow him. So here's the commitment for this morning. I will take my next step in following Jesus this week. And if you're already a follower of Jesus, you probably know what your next step is. The Holy Spirit's probably been tugging at your heart. The Holy Spirit's been saying, you need to get serious about reading the Word of God. Or the Holy Spirit's been saying, you need to get up 10 minutes earlier so you can spend some more time with me in prayer. Or maybe he's been saying, you need to talk to that friend at school or at work about me. Or maybe he's been saying, you know, it's time to deal with that sin in your life that has just been there forever. And it's really time to, to let me take it away so that you can end that sin and you can end that shame and guilt that you've been living with for so long. Whatever it is, I do believe most of us know what the next step is. And the key is, if we're following Jesus, we're going to take a next step and then a next step and a next step. It is sort of like that waiting thing. I hate to admit it, but it, waiting is really more what the Christian life is like than diving because it's easy to dive in and trust Jesus. But then after that, it's sort of waiting one step after the next, after the next, after the next for years until one day we see Jesus. And guess what? He won't be ashamed. He'll say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter the joy of your master's kingdom. Let's pray right now and ask for the power of the Holy Spirit to make that the reality that we see one day. Heavenly Father, I do thank you for every person that's here today, every person watching online. And I pray, God, that you will fill us all with your Holy Spirit. Whether the first time uh, we've ever thought about you is right now or whether we've been living for you for decades, I pray, God, for a new outpouring of your Holy Spirit that we can take the one next step that each of us needs to take today and then another one tomorrow and the next day and the next day so that you'll be glorified and that our lives will be lived in a way that makes, makes such a, a blessing for not only us but for all those around us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.